Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL. Thank you for joining us on another Thursday. We have stacked the panel this week, a panel more stacked than Saturday's UFC 293 pay-per-view. How about that? Well, at least on paper. Let's get right into things. Let's not waste any time as we first introduce a man who has talked a lot over the last couple of weeks. A couple of great editions of Damn, They Were Good, No Bets Barred, this show, even a guest stint on an award-winning podcast. He is Mr. No Gray Area, a man who wants to live in a world where Sean Strickland holds middleweight gold. He is MMA Fighting Zone, Jed Mishu. How are you, buddy? <laughs> Look at that flow today. I let it down uh, because God knows we need something to bring the people in because UFC 293 ain't going to do it. Uh, no one's clicking the button. To, Ooh, let's watch them talk about that fight card. So check the luscious flow. There you go. That's what we're all about here at MMAfighting.com. Great website. We get us all tickets now and back by po- super popular demand a man who joined jet and i on damn they were good for the yoana champion episode he's one half of the morning combat duo the man just wins awards he's the one the only brian freaking campbell rocking the scally yeah. bc yeah 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 representing the man in the hat the in the myth the legend the chuck mindenhall but i'm bc i'm back to defend my title and uh you know as far as my midlife crisis choices, this is my favorite mistake, Cheryl. So I really enjoy wearing this hat thing. <laughs> I mean, you look you look sensational in it. No doubt about that. It I fits. Pull it really gallon. does. Yeah, I can't pull off either of these. Like, I can't pull off the long hair. I mean, I can't pull off any hair. And I can't rock the scally these days. But uh, we'll talk 293. Yes, we'll talk Izzy Strickland. We'll have a f- super fun final regulation round as well. But let's put a bow on last weekend first. UFC Paris went down. It was a fun one. Two big stories coming out of it. One we'll get into in a moment that features a fighter who did not win. The other, a former interim champ getting back on track following a 
devastating quick loss to John Jones earlier this year. Cyril gone in front of a home crowd, BC. Blows the doors off one Sergei Spivak. He got him out in round two, gets a much-needed win. In the aftermath, sort of no-sold Tom Aspinall, just kind of left things open with a, well, I want the belt, but no real next step as to how he's going to get there. But as far as the performance goes, BC, and there were questions heading in about Gunn's takedown defense, etc., coming out of the John Jones fight. Did you learn anything from Cyril Gunn? Like, what did you take away most from this performance? You know, I learned that he can put a giant piece of bubblegum over the glaring hole in the dam. And for this particular test against Spivak, that's what was needed. What God needed to do was remind us of his elite nature, show us at the very least the intention put in to sure up some of those holes in his game and move forward. And look, he had a second round stoppage against a guy on a heck of a streak coming in. He moved forward with the pressure on him in front of a home crowd. I did believe there were elements of break, make or break for Gone in this fight, meaning he had to win and look as good as he did for us to be confident about his direction moving forward to the top, rather than talking about things like, should he get a new trainer? Can he fix the holes in his game? From what we saw in the takedown defense, it was strong. And I think the biggest thing we took away was the offensive intention from Gon to sit down on his punches and really look for the stoppage that inevitably did come in round two. My only issue with Gon's performance as a whole, and I don't think this is his fault, is what it didn't do was give us full confidence moving forward that he has fixed some or completely, you know, or all of the holes that led him to being in trouble against Tuivasa, to laying a big fat egg against John Jones. Good takedown defense, good offense. But Sergey Spivak, ah, oh man, did I don't think he put his best foot forward. So I think there are some elements of fool's gold from how easy this performance looked in hindsight just a few days back. But at the very least, we needed some confidence about gone moving forward. He may believe he's going to go right to the title shot. I think some other things are going to dictate that. But I do believe in him again moving forward. I just didn't see everything I needed to. Jay, we talked about this on the post-fight show because we we really didn't learn a whole hell of a lot. Like he did defend the takedown. It was kind of an aggressive one. But we knew that two minutes into this fight, we knew exactly where this fight was going to go. It's either Sergey's going to land takedowns and beat the hell out of Cyr- Cyril Gon, or Gon's going to avoid the takedown and just finish and just annihilate Sergey Spivak, and that's what happened here. So now that the dust has settled, I guess, how do you grade Gon's day in Paris between the win, the performance, the mic work, laying the groundwork for the future? How do you grade Cyril Gon on Saturday? If we're taking the totality of it, uh, a minus, right? Like, look, he he looked sensational in the cage. I didn't learn a damn thing. Uh, that was always very much in the realm of what he could do to Sergey Spivak. I, I coming in, and I said this on several of the shows that week. My questions were about Sergey Spivak. Like, he's still young. He had been on a really good tear. Is he maybe a dude we underestimated a little bit? And now he's putting it together. And thirty seconds, and I was like, oh no, he. He still has that one major problem that that will limit his ability. He looks like he is moving in mud. And that's like if you're not an athlete, you're not going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. That's just it. Like you got to be an athlete to to make it. You got to be an athlete or you have to be the toughest SOB that's ever lived to really make hay at the top of that weight class. And he ain't either. So that's that's the thing I learned. For Cyril Gone, like you – you just got to look like that against dudes you're supposed to look like that against. So you got to give him an A for it. 
we're taking the totality of it. I'll dock him a couple of points for the mic work and stuff, which is to be expected. Cyril Ghosn has never been a guy who is a captivating personality. He's just a big dude who moves like a middleweight, and that's the selling point on him. But, you know, he could have and uh, should have done a little more to maybe build a fight with Tom Aspinall, or if he really doesn't want to fight Tom Aspinall for one reason or another, you know, try and pick on Sergey Pavlovich. He is ostensibly, Pavlovich is ostensibly the next guy in line, right? He's got the backup fighter tag, uh, 295. I think it's 290, whatever the, yeah, uh, 295, he's got the backup fighter tag. So come like, if you're not going to come out and say, Hey man, I want to fight Tom Aspinall, be like, Hey, let me, I want to fight Sergey Pavlovich. I want to get back in there and avenge it. And that's, it's never been his way, but I implore all fighters always to try and take a more proactive hand in your own fight promotion and your careers. You don't have to be Conor McGregor or, you know, that fake, I'm going to adopt a personality, but you just, you need to speak the things you want into existence because that's like half the battle in the game. Gon's never been that way. And so he's probably instead going to fight, you know, the winner of Almeida Curtis Blades, which... Might be bad for him because both those dudes are athletes and he hasn't fared well against the athletes that he has fought. So that's a minus, but overall a solid night at the office. Yeah, what's wild is he has done it before. Like he put himself in position for the John Jones fight. Like he saw a potential glaring hole and it was like every other day he was tweeting, hey, John, I'm ready. Where are you? And somehow once the Francis thing fell apart... He knows how to do he's it. Got the like tw- he can get he's got the Twitter there. fingers. He's got the Twitter fingers, but he has never, I, at least to my knowledge, I don't remember him saying anything uh, that I've ever remembered on a microphone. BC, what do you think my, about sort of the fallout of that? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. My issue with him on the microphone was this. Uh, and I say this about promoter. I say this about fighter, whatever. I'm even okay if you're going to lie to us. But don't leave us feeling like you don't want to fight somebody else. And that's what his post-fight comments on the UFC post-fight show when approached by the the crew there about Aspinall constantly calling him out, calling him out again after this fight. And he's sort of like, yeah, you know, Aspinall's trying to get to the top. Well, I'm trying to get there too, blah, blah, blah. It was really Gon's way of saying this without saying it. He's saying, look, John's going to fight Stipe in November. There's a shot that one or both could retire afterwards and a really good shot that the winner could retire afterwards. Gone is smart enough to know that with his name combined with the advancement in Paris and boy was in French MMA for the UFC and boy was that Paris crowd red hot on Saturday that he could be in a very good spot. If John Jones retires after beating Stipe, let's say for a potential scenario, and then it would it be gone and Pavlovich next for the vacant belt. It probably would, but here's the deal though. I'm okay if you sell us machismo, even if underneath it, you're a different kind of strategic businessman. I think I wanted to hear like all the fans do that. I'm Cyril gone and I'll fight anybody. And the reason why I think we needed to hear that is because he had three consecutive questionable performances, two wins, and, and, and I'm sorry, a win over to Ivasa in which he looked bad at times. He got in trouble in times and then spectacularly won it. And then two losses that, Really, we had to bite our tongue down to the idea of saying, like, maybe we were wrong about Cyril Gaon. So even though he repaired a lot of that public image with the performance against Spivak, even with some of those built-in fool's gold elements that we talked about, you should want, if you're a promoter or a fan of Gaon, for him to come out and be like, yeah, I'll fight anybody. And hey, Tom Aspinall, if you think you're good enough for the top and if the promotion wants us to fight, then meet me in Paris, meet me in London, let's do a stadium, let's do a big deal there. 
I'm always at the end of the day, either be honest or do a really good job lying with some fake honesty, but don't do the thing where we can go Twitter fingers back on and go, you know what? I kind of feel like Gon's avoiding Aspinall. And maybe if we look at the stylistic nature of it, maybe he should be. Yeah, which is, I, I thought the Pavlovich idea would have been great for him. At least set the table for that. Be like, hey, Sergey, these guys are going to fight. You're the backup, but how about I just fight you instead? And then you kind of can put yourself in that position. Of course, if Jelton Almeida beats Curtis Blades, then all bets are off because the timing of that fight couldn't be better for Jelton Almeida if he wins because it's the week before the title fight. And a month and a half, two months is a very long time between fights for a big win from Jelton Almeida. He could really put a, a, a wrench into all of this. So that is Cyril gone. Uh, the other big story, BC, Rose Damiunas loses a decision to Manon Fierro. It's pretty clear cut, despite what Jamal Hill might say. But Rose was competitive. She got dinged up early with the finger injury. That injury looked nasty. But, but what stood out to me was not just the performance, BC, but kind of the opposite of Cyril gone. The aftermath, she jumps on an IG Live. She kind of heard what people were saying in the fallout of the fight answers all the questions surrounding it, the injury, why Trevor Whitman wasn't there. But the thing that has gotten the most attention, BC, she ain't going back to 115. She's planning on staying at 125. She wants to put a little more size. Weight cuts are brutal. Right move, BC? Do you think this is the right move coming out of this fight? I don't think we're going to fully know if it's the right move until the end of the line. But do we have enough information from the performance mixed with, I don't want to say excuses because I feel more like on that IG Live, Rose was defending herself against what was becoming the public narrative. But she gave explanations about some of those key questions we had after watching that performance live. And I think if you take all of that into account, how badly her finger was mangled and how that prevented her from keeping a close fist and not only striking with two hands, but but using that to, to aid her wrestling game in hopes of setting up submissions, that was all compromised. She was also compromised, now we find out, by Trevor Whitman's schedule, which didn't allow, with some of the things going on, including her building her own home gym in Denver, for Trevor to join camp with her since he was focused on Gaethje and the BMF fight. All of that seems a little bit understandable now when we look back on what was what? A very competitive fight against a super elite 125-pound fighter who looks like with that victory, she may have clinched the next title shot. I saw Rose Namajunas who leaned more on guile and smarts and setup, but that's always what you're going to have to do moving up a division. The one thing Rose is not going to have anymore staying at 125 is that built-in size advantage, the fact that she's taller and longer usually than her opponents, but doesn't sacrifice speed, has incredible footwork and setups, and really has one-strike power. I think if she came up to 125 and had the type of debut that let's say you want a champion had fighting Valentina for that vacant belt where we knew within the first minute of the fight that she was not going to be able to hurt Valentina then I might have more questions about Rose's 125 upper bound limits as Luke Thomas would say the difference though in my opinion between Rose and Joanna specifically is I believe Rose can carry the power up to another weight class I also believe she's a submission threat when fully healthy and a good ground fighter at another weight class in ways that Yuana never was. So was she completely compromised for those final two rounds by that hand injury and really should have Pat Berry and company in the corner considered trying to pop it back in? All of those, I'm going to say yes. But I do think I can peer through, realize she's still young enough, still at the tail end of her physical prime to really use her smarts 
to make a run at 125. Could she have trouble on the ground against Blanchfield? Yes, she could. So could anybody. But I think her striking would help her in that battle. Same against Alexa Grasso. And she seems to really covet the idea of facing Valentina one day, whether it's in a title fight or not, just for that idea, the respect that she has for Valentina. They've trained together and putting together a really big fight. I think as soon as that fight ended, I had more questions about Rose's future and whether 125 was a good or bad idea. But after the fact, I do believe she should retain a certain level of our respect and grace to say, you know what? That didn't go as planned, but it wasn't a disaster. What can you do now moving forward after this? And what's crazy about this, Jed, is one of the things we talk about on the post-fight show is what, where is she going to go, right? And we didn't think we would... We thought we'd have to wait a while. Maybe she'd go back to the farm, wouldn't hear from her for six months. And then like a day and a half later, here she is with a smile on her face, talking a little trash, giving answers to what happened and, and providing a future and actually like looking at it with pretty good spirits, which I think is a really good sign, Jed. And yeah, she lost a man in Fioro, but she's still, and this probably includes Valentina Shevchenko. If she's a flyweight, a permanent flyweight, she's probably the most known flyweight on the roster. She's probably the biggest star in the division. This loss sets her back, but not that much, right? Like, what did you take away from the comments, the fact that she's staying at 125, despite a lot of people feeling like she's too small, even though Rose disagrees with all of that? I thought it was all bad. Um, I B, BC and I are not aligned on this one at all. One I had, I left that fight with real questions about whether she does carry that power up with her. Look, she had a competitive fight against one of the top women in the world. I'm not saying she can't have success at flyweight. She is. I said coming into that fight, so say going out. She's one of the most talented female fighters to ever compete. That upper bound is going to give you a lot of leeway, whatever you want to do. But I feel confident her power didn't carry up because a lot of that fight was strictly dictated by the fact that when she got hit by Benon Furo, who is not an outrageous hitter, it physically moved her. It it put it moved her body, it marked her face up. And when she would land clean on Furo, Furo would just be like, All right, cool, homie, we good. I I don't know that she is gonna carry that up with her. She carries up plenty of skills and can have success against, you know, the Caitlin Chukagians of the world, uh the the Jennifer Mayas of the world. But even those I I think that she's more talented than those women, so she would beat them. I'm not sure that they would look good and dominant in this kind of way. And then you put her against the like I mean, I think Valentina Shevchenko probably beats her pretty convincingly just by getting a body lock and th thrashing her on the floor. I think Aaron Blanchfield just murders her, but I also think Blanchfield does that to a lot of people. Tyler Santos, like, Benafiro was the nexus of too physical for her, but not does not employ a style that is overly physical in its execution. The one time it re she did kind of impose that physicality on Rose in the clinches, you visibly saw Rose be like, please do not knee me in the body anymore. Oh my God, that hurts so bad. Like that's just going to kill her. Like, and then the idea that, well, I want to put on some more, I don't want to make the cut. I understand that. And that's fine. If that's the reason, then, you got to do what makes you happy. But the idea that I don't want to make the cut and I'm going to put on 10 more pounds of muscle to compete. Those feel like competing ideologies to me, Mike. Like I don't want to make this cut. So what I'm going to do is add more weight and then have to cut that at this weight class where I'm not my best. Her best competing is at 115. She has two wins over the current champion and would have a really good chance to do it again. So all of it was weird. The, 
the the attitude and I don't I, that word's a little more loaded than I mean but just her response to things didn't feel very rose like you said to come out you know shortly after and have a little bit of chip on her shoulder and that's not really where she's been her best as far as I'm concerned I still don't buy the comments about Trevor Whitman um, because I don't know if you guys um, know how a calendar works but Justin Gaethje fought a month ago I'm not really sure why Trevor Whitman couldn't be involved <laughs> for this so I I, all of it was bad and made me be like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And I don't foresee great things in her future. Um, the one benefit is, like you said, Mike, she by default is one of the biggest stars in this weight class. And so it won't be a long road to get to a title shot just be, just by virtue of that. But I, I did not see a lot on last Saturday that makes me think that she is a future two-division champion. Jed, can I ask you a couple of questions that involve one word sure. answers? Sure. Um, was she the physically the same size as Manon Farrell, more or less, in this fight? No. I, I mean, mean she is reach. as she is as tall and has the same reach. They were okay. very clearly uh, physically separated in my mind. Uh, it, it, does she have a reputation as being very capable on the ground at one fifteen? She has a reputation of being capable. I would not say very capable. Not not she not initially known as a great submission threat doing spectacular submissions and has really paired that with some solid wrestling and 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 where I get the idea that she'd be moving up in weight and it's always going to be hard to wrestle somebody like Blanchfield but my whole point here Jed is that she has the skills to offset that and for you to infer that she might not have carried power a lot of people look I guess technically whoever's doing the stats for the UFC did not give her credit. For any knockdowns, I did see two knockdowns in there by single punches, one in the first round, one in the third that the announcers basically said Manon's legs kind of tripped herself up and went down. But I saw two big single shots that moved Manon, which shows me that the power mixed with the technique did carry up. And Jed, was that first round competitive? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, ultra competitive. Yeah, Rose had to make a certain adjustment being off for 16 months in a new division, facing one of the best in the world in that division to the idea that she's not going to have that same length. So, yes, she had problems with the lead jab of, of Faroe with that little uh, right-handed hook that she disguises as the jab. But she was compromised after round one, and we can't act like that wasn't a thing to have a broken finger and not be allowed to show us what she potentially could do on the ground. The, to just throw out there that Blanchfield is going to cut through and and dominate her. I, yeah, I Blanchfield think we do have to put, dude. I think we have to do put put some respect on the combination of her experience, her well-rounded skill set, and let's see her fully healthy. She went to the deepest end of the pool against, you know, uh, one of the top three fighters in this revamp division. And really went nose for nose and, you know, tit for tat for the most part, losing a close decision in which she was compromised. You got to give somebody with that level of experience and ability and well-roundedness a chance to prove it a second time, a chance to prove it the right way. If you, she was saying moving forward, Pat Berry's my head trainer, super fan Rose over here at BC would have some questions like we all would. Could I buy that Trevor Whitman, who she said she was talking to throughout camp, that there was a scheduling issue? Aren't all these? I mean, yeah, I could buy that. Did she prefer to train at home in her garage? Maybe she did. Maybe that's a bad move moving forward. But if she comes back fully healthy with Trevor Whitman, I think she can still beat the majority of these flyweights. And I would be a little bit too quick to paint a picture that it's going to look like Joanna versus Valentina for her moving forward. I think she's in it with a shot to beat anybody in that top three or four. And I think she showed you that, Jed. I just don't think you saw that. 
You're right. I, I didn't see it. I, if she showed it to me, I, I did not see it. Because, look, I, I started my whole thing saying she can have success. She's one of the most talented fighters ever. That gives her a lot of leeway. But at the upper bound of this, I look, I don't think that highly of Manon Furor. And that's where it's been. Like, I think Manon, she she keeps winning, and I don't entirely get it because I'm not sure that she's good. <laughs> Um, and Rose did not beat her, and that is a big thing. It's like, okay, I think she can have success, and it's fighting. Anything can happen, right? But uh, I thought both of the knockdowns were, you know, she got caught on one leg and fell over, and that can happen. I never saw Manon Furo's eyes get real wide, like when Rose got kneed in the gut and looked like she wanted to vacate existence. It's I just – it doesn't feel like she's going to do things. Like against the very top echelon of the thing. Again, she could beat, like I said, I I said specifically she could beat Kayla Chukagan, who's like the top five is of fighters in this weight class. She could beat a lot of women in this weight class. I think now, she's Kayla's gonna struggle against hard. the very elite. Don't use that. Don't use that as a see. I gave her the Chukagian fight. Kaylin's on the I way did. out. She's of the old guard. We're talking about the new ones, the top contenders, the Who? rising young names. She's a problem for all of them, Jed. And I think at the very least. <sighs> Due to her resume and experience, we need to give her the respect. Due to the known injury in the picture, Macy Barber, it, of some Is level Macy? of, uh, dude, she would handle Macy Barber. Yeah, I said she's wow. a problem for Macy Barber. Uh, yeah. I don't know that she'd handle her, um, but like she probably beats Macy Barber. But also, I don't know because for all of this grappling expertise that um, you're trying to lean on, one that sure. was always a a pretty overblown narrative to my mind um, just because she's long and can armbar people or whatever. Uh, but her grappling expertise is largely proactive. Like she's not doing a lot of stuff on the bottom, which is why Blanchfield will kill her. Like Blanchfield's going to take her down and kill her. <laughs> it's just, she, and to her credit, Blanchfield's going to do that to everyone. That's not Tyler Santos and maybe to Valentina Shevchenko. Like that's just who Blanchfield is. But look, I, I think Rose can have success here because she's one of the best fighters on earth. Like, so you can always have success. I think it would make way more sense to go to the division where you actually probably are the best fighter on earth and probably are the best fighter who has ever fought at that weight class. I mean, Jed, the last yes or no question is simple. Did she have two working hands? Any man with two hands has a fighting chance. Any woman too. She didn't have it. You didn't learn anything from um, it, all right? I'm you learned sorry. that she gutted it out. To keep I didn't it realize fist fights had learned. injuries. I didn't realize we. <laughs> this is a sport where people got injured. I thought you fist fought and nothing bad ever happened. You just got into a fist fight and everybody was okay the whole time. That's what always happens in fist fights, right? No, you got to win them. Like, I don't care. You got to find a way to do it, man. Yeah, I thought she fought pretty well considering the circumstance and was able to keep that fight close. But look, I don't think I don't think this is a a bad move for her. I just think it's 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 uncertain what the future exactly is going to look like. But she's 31 years old. It's understandable that she could be growing out of that weight class and certainly has put on, you know, more muscle sub- incrementally over her career. Let's not discount the idea of how much fresher with two working hands her wrestling might look, her her gas tank might look for the ability to fight off takedowns and the ability to sustain herself against the elite in this division. Questions? Yes, Jed, you're fair to have questions. Absolute doubt? No, not going to work in this case. Bro, this is this is punditry. <laughs> You're supposed to have absolute doubt about everything. And look, 
This is objectively a bad move because she's better in one weight class. This might work out. She may win a belt. This may be very successful for her. She is objectively better at the weight class where she is very, very likely to be the best fighter in the world. Like, it's just, I don't understand this. I'm never going to understand this. And until she wins the title, I'm going to feel really vindicated that this was dumb because until she wins the 125 title, if that never happens, then this exists in perpetuity, obviously. If it does, then that intervening five years or whatever she didn't have was like, well, that's cool, but she could have had the belt and the pay-per-view points and all the things that go away with that come with it at 115 if she had just been like, hey, I'd like to fight that woman I've already beaten twice, including a knockout victory over who currently has the belt, please, and thank you. Well, I, I think she would have. I don't think the UFC wanted anything to do with that. That's that's just my well, opinion on that. Not after the Carla fight, yeah. But if she goes back and is like, all right, I'll fight Yan Zhao Nan now, and I won't have the most inexplicably awful fight of all time, then I'm like, all right, let's let's put you back in a title fight. It's okay. Wait, I'm just gonna to close on this. I'm not gonna say that everything from this fight was explainable. She's had one of the more unexplainable careers in general. To be very fair, what's her record right now? Is it something like a, uh, an eleven and six? Wasn't she six and three when she fought for a world title the second time? I mean, she's had as weird of a career as possible. But I think the difference in this argument is you're trying to profitize what Rose is going to look like. Not maybe, maybe not taking into account too enough the injury, but how she might look against Blanchfield Grass or whatever. Those aren't the battles that decide if Rose Namunis wins or loses fights. It's the battle with herself. She didn't lose the battle with herself like she did the Esparza fight, like she did some of other big fights, both Esparza fights, to be very fair. This was physically not her fault. She gutted it out. Her head coach wasn't there. She'll be back just fine, Jed. You see, you'll see. Look, she chose at the very baseline. She chose to have Pat Barry serve as her primary coach over Trevor Whitman. So she lost the battle to something in that regard because one of those men is much better at coaching than the other. Well, look, the motivation seems to be there to continue on this journey. And that was one of the questions I had coming out. She that is the best part of this. That is the best takeaway from this, Mike, is she seems like she's not thinking about the farm. So... Yes. Yeah. I mean, she showed, she showed the same the same heart she showed in the Andrade rematch to 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 rally back to stay in this fight. She was just more compromised. Yeah. Now we just run the trilogy with Andrade after Andrade does business with Mackenzie Dern. No. We do that at one twenty five. Just do that. Yes, that is the fight. Got, that is the only. Jessica fight. Andrade has to stop fighting people who are good. Someone, whoever is her man, she has a win over her. Fired. Yeah, but and I I thought she maybe two. Won the second you one. thought she won both. I agree, but I'm just saying Jessica Andrade needs a softball. Whoever is managing her career is letting her fight every other week against really good people, and it's going really poorly. Give her somebody. I don't – like just the softest touch ever. Let her get a W, please. Well – I didn't think we'd spend 30 minutes on this, but uh, shout out to Benoit Santini. Shout out to Morgan Cherrier for the nasty body kick KO. And uh, shout out to the Paris crowd. They were on fire. But BSD is, look, it's very early going. This man is is starting to lay the foundation of a future Damn They Were Good episode. That man is bona fide fireworks. Let's get him to MSG. Let's get him to MSG to fight Matt Frivola. That is the fight to make. So that's UFC 295. That's in November. We got a pay-per-view on Saturday, though, guys. And I can tell by the looks on your faces that you are very excited to talk about this. The point for round one goes to... 
the new PR rep for Rose Namajunas, Brian Campbell. It's one to nothing. Nicely done. I'm not just the uh, Rose Club president. I'm also a client, <laughs> just so you guys know, all right? <laughs> Pro-Lithuanian over here. Thank you very much. Uh, nicely done. Nicely done. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Uh, so, guys, we have UFC 293 on Saturday, and we'll get into the card as a whole and the excitement levels for the entirety of it all in round three. But I want to focus on the main event first. We have Israel Adesanya versus Sean Strickland. Jed, you co-host a gambling program. You know the betting odds are very, very, very wide here on the side of Adesanya. Strickland coming in with very little pressure, not a whole lot to lose. Actually getting babyface reactions this week from the Sydney crowd, which is kind of surprising. But Jed, as a man who was on this program, the only person in BTL history to own moral victories multiple moral victories including one over this man after ufc 290 and ddp's win over robert whitaker how can sean strickland win this fight on saturday he can't and that's <laughs> the sad part i i i have spent the better part of a month trying to get there i got there with sean o'malley it took me a while and i was like i'm gonna talk myself into it and i got there and then that one worked out really great and i was like you know what else would be funny if Sean Strickland beat Izzy. And I think it would be objectively the funniest thing that has happened in the UFC cage in years. Uh, <laughs> if Sean Strickland goes in here and gets a dub and I want to say ruins the best laid plans of the UFC, but it wouldn't because they're trying to torpedo their own best plans anyway, because they're a vindictive and stupid organization writ large. <laughs> but uh, it would still be incredibly amusing. Unfortunately, I just don't see it, man. There is when your own coach is coming out and saying this is a really bad matchup for us, you know that the prospects of success are grim. Uh, they're just Strickland just is uniquely poorly suited. I would venture to say that Alex Pereira is actually the worst possible matchup for him, given what we now know about Pereira. At the time, there's at least an idea that, well, Pereira can't fight on the ground. And maybe that's still true, but Strickland's not the dude who's going to really take advantage of it. And then the striking matchup, Pereira is a one-hitter quitter, and we saw exactly how that whole fight unfolded. Izzy's maybe not like quite as bad as Pereira is, but he's just a rung below for Strickland. Uh I genuinely struggle to see how Strickland gets off like committed offense here. Maybe he double jabs a bunch, but uh, that that will score points. That won't hurt <laughs> Izzy. And the rest of the time, he's just going to get chewed up with kicks. Sean Strickland's been pretty bad at defending kicks over the course of his career, and he doesn't have the footwork to do it. Like I, outside of an actual banana peel, or you know, Izzy 
you know, rolling his ankle or something like stepping into the cage. I really can't find a, a path to victory for Sean Strickland. So unfortunately, the funniest possible outcome, it seems extremely unlikely to happen. BC, what, what do you think about this? Because, I mean, obviously Strickland is very well coached. Eric Nixick is a tremendous coach. They craft great game plans. And one of my favorite Eric Nixick stories of all time is we had a game plan for Alex Pereira and then Sean Strickland didn't listen to any of it. We were going to wrestle and he was just like, nah, I'm going to punch this dude in the face. And the fact that Sean Strickland continues to tell Eric Nixick that if I fought this dude a hundred times, I would do the same thing the next 99 times is just hilarious to me. So it's almost like game plans don't matter here because Sean Strickland's going to do what Sean Strickland does. And we say it all the time in fights, anything can happen once that cage door closes and there's nothing more dangerous than a overlooked fighter with nothing to lose. And that is Sean Strickland to a T. So I ask you, man, in the scally cap, how can Sean Strickland win this fight? Not looking good here. Uh, the strengths. Sometimes you have to look at what are some of the hidden strengths or the things we're not focusing on. What should we have known ahead of time, ahead of big upsets like Pena Nunes 1 and Bisping Rockhold 2, for example. I don't think the parallels really connect here. For Strickland, yeah, obviously he's got that five-round cardio. Four of his last six fights have gone to that level, and he does fight an aggressive pressure style, yet outside of the Poetan fight has shown us uh, responsible enough head movement, truck movement, defensive uh, instincts to employ a style that puts him in danger so much. Obviously the problem is that that style plays perfectly to the counter-striking spider web that Adesanya puts out there. And look, if, if these, all these other wrestlers had little to no effect outside of Blahovich and a young Vittori having wrestling success against Adesanya, Strickland's obviously not that guy who's just going to suddenly do that. The difference in trying to create a path for, to him for victory where others created one that we didn't see coming is, is you know, just this. Look, Strickland's not a one-punch striker, not a big submission threat. Um, Rockhold lost to Bisping in the, in the rematch because, you know, arrogance was always the fatal flaw that held Luke Rockhold back, particularly in the second half of his career, and it was in, in, in flow that night. I think Bisping, even in that advanced age that he was at UFC 199, is a better fighter than Sean Strickland, who has been very good and, and or good and sometimes, you know, teasing very good, but has not shown you the idea that he can be a great fighter that can do this. You need something. You need that one irresistible part of your attack. Sean Strickland is a, you know, like I said, pretty damn good fighter across the board. Not great in one category to, to really give a threat. So it's more about what can Izzy do to step on his own feet? Izzy doesn't gas out, although, you know, that did become a problem in the loss to Poetan in the first MMA match, although there's a lot of leg strikes that seem to facilitate that. And I don't believe that Izzy, Izzy's going to go out of his way to do something stupid that's going to set up his demise. This is going to be as one-sided as the odds tell you. I also think, though, it'll be entertaining. Thursday morning's press conference was wild as heck and had some elements of weird and daring charm to it. Strickland gets your eyes on him for obvious reasons. But this is survive in advance, and let's not forget, it took an incredible perfect storm for Strickland to even be here, DDP not being ready, Izzy having completely cleaned out the division, Politan having moved up in weight, and that damn bus 
that allowed Sean Strickland to have basically a get well fight before a title fight. All of these perfect storm elements had a, a line with the fact that Strickland's looked at somebody who can sell and talk. And it has been weird that all of Australia is like, yeah, this is our guy. We hate paint and nails too. We hate anime. This is awesome. No, it's freaking weird. The guy's going to get blasted and peeled off with a canvas, but at least we're going to have fun watching it. Good luck finding gems on the rest of the card, though, okay? Uncut, to say the least. Damn. Hey, we'll get Damn. there. Don't you worry. Um, BC, kind of building upon that, we're, sometimes we're prisoners of these betting odds and matchups and just of the moment in general. And, yes, you mentioned Peña Nunez and some of the major upsets with these big, massive betting numbers attached to them in the past. But let's forget about DraftKings. And all that. This is the BC betting odds, like what, how you feel personally. If Sean Strickland somehow wins this fight, where would this rank on the scale of zero to holy crapola compared to other big upsets in the sport? And like, what would this division look like if Sean Strickland won the belt and then probably got a smoking skull title like Stone Cold Steve Austin did? I think it would be top five because of how great Izzy is right at the top of the pound for pound list. Although he did just recently lose in his own division, but certainly avenged that. But I don't think it. I mean, one thing we have to remember of why it's such a huge upset is Strickland has not beaten a requisite elite fighter and a number one contender type opportunity to really earn this. It took the fact that Izzy had already cleaned out the division one and a half times for that door to open. Yeah, Strickland on a two fight win streak, but he's lost both times. He stepped up in those type of fights. I don't think it's as big as Matt Serra versus GSP. I certainly don't think it's as big as of an upset as Pena Nunes was, because let's remember, it took Amanda Nunes, the greatest female fighter of all time, to essentially implode before our eyes, to have a horrible training camp filled with injuries, to be afraid to pull out of the fight because of the lessons she learned from the company from when she was ill ahead of the scheduled rematch with Shevchenko. She pushed forward. Pena had the night of her life in terms of chin and willpower and won that. This would be about three, four, five in that area in terms of huge upsets. We're always going to throw Rousey versus Holman there, which also happened on Australian soil. Although I think in hindsight, not as big of an upset as sort of the odds or the hype in that moment would tell you. But to me, what truly defines the big upset isn't always the rankings of the fighters or the or how well we historically look at the champion. And right now, Izzy certainly look like as an all-timer in waiting and building, right? But it, to me, it's how much of a legitimate chance based on the firepower strategy and all that that they bring to the table do they have to win? In this case, Strickland doesn't have a good chance. It really doesn't. So is it, would this be like the third or fourth biggest upset? Probably would be. But I think we should start waking up to the idea that it's starting to happen more often than we realize. Leon Edwards in round five against Usman. Poetan in round five against uh, Adesanya. Obviously, the problem is that Strickland isn't those guys could he be those guys on, on a great night yeah you can lose it's impossible it's almost impossible to have the type of runs that the guys that we have in that upper room of goathood have actually pulled off because there are so many ways to lose not this time not in australia where izzy is five and oh and if you want to know what five fights how about two titles on the regional scene his ufc debut anderson silva and the time he knocked out robert whitaker to win the title this is going to be all izzy all day so i'm just wasting time to fulfill my obligations to entertain you as the b-side of this show jed you want to live in this world where it does happen and God, you would dude. laugh hysterically your post like the laugh would last from the end of the fight through the post-fight press conference show through the post-fight show the laughter would be contagious but how like deep down inside as happy as you would be 
How shocking would this be? Where would this rank if Sean Strickland goes out there? Like no banana peel, no weird injury. He just goes out and just out hustles Izzy and beats him on Saturday. Uh, probably number two. Um, I think broadly speaking, we're looking at number three. Look, it's going to take an act of God uh, to beat Matt Sarah George St. Pierre. I don't think people – Certainly newer fans will ever understand how unlikely that was. The totality of it was simply insane. And looking back, you can sell yourself in the idea a little bit more, but you have to remember, Matt Sarah was a BJJ guy. He'd never knocked anybody out. And then he knocks out George St. Pierre, who is the second coming. <laughs> like That was just not a thing that could happen. Uh, so that's probably never going to get topped. And uh, Peña Nunes, I think, has uh, a very good argument for two. But even at the time, some people were like, you know what? I think Juliana Peña is going to do it. Um, and then Juliana Peña did. And then afterwards, we see how it could happen. Because like BC pointed out, the thing that usually gets fighters in moments like this is hubris. And they rest on their laurels a little bit. They've been championed for a long time and that. You can you can craft the narrative, you know Buster Douglas, similar sort of stuff going on there. This one, uh, Izzy just lost his belt, so it's not like he's like super rested on his laurels. And the they just somebody point me to a path to victory. Somebody tell me how he's gonna do it, and I can start to at least see it. I have to write an article for this website outlining paths to victory, and I gotta tell you, man, it's hard. Because I don't know what the paths are other than prayer. There was simply no way for him to do this. So uh, it's really big. Like I, It would be the second biggest upset in my mind. I think largely it would be viewed as like the third biggest upset. Um, but like BC also mentioned, we're starting to get more of these sorts of events happening. Uh, maybe it's just because we're getting 50 events a year and so – law of large numbers you're going to get more of this thing to happen but uh it would be extremely high up there undeniably top five for me and like i said i think it'd be number two or number three last thing on this and then we'll move on to the rest of the card this glorious paper Why? offering um Look, Jed, you believe it. BC believes it. I think most people believe Izzy's going to win. And it's just a matter of whether he wins a Jer Jared Cannonier-ish, like 50-45, or if he just runs Strickland out of the building. But you mentioned with Cyril God, you gave him an A-, all things considered. So for you, with DDP and potentially Hamzat Shemaev waiting in the wing, should he defeat Paulo Costa next month, what does Izzy have to do on Saturday to get an A-plus out of you? He has to try. Um, look, we <laughs> here's the thing we all forgot about it because Alex Pereira is real cool, um, and made Izzy real fun, and so we were all like, huh. The narrative pre Pereira was Izzy's in that Anderson Silva stage of his career, where in, in retrospect, hindsight, looking back, we're gonna be like, man, it's incredible what he managed to do, getting all those wins, not even being competitive in those fights. That's great. Uh, and, and that still stands true. Like all of those, you know, the Vittori, the Cannoneer, et cetera, those are all good wins that that hold up. The problem being, like it or not, this is an entertainment sport, and you gotta try to hurt people sometimes and not just coast. And I'm sure that behind the scenes right now, the great and powerful E. Casey Lydon is, is shaking his head and saying, fighting is fighting, and you just gotta win. That's the most important thing. And that's true. Uh, but 
you also gotta be dope at what you're doing and it's not dope to watch you leg kick some dude for 25 minutes uh and never engage and that's where izzy was a year and a half ago and there's like a really strong chance he becomes this dude again. If Pereira, or I'm sorry, if Strickland doesn't just run himself into offense, Izzy is not going to initiate in that way. He is just going to to win the fight comfortably without it engaging in in the battle that could be entertaining. Even though Sean Strickland has like an almost negative possibility of catching him with one shot and knocking him out, this is the fight. Of all the other fights, you can sell me that Jared Cannonier is dangerous and I don't want to get to trading punches with him, even though I think that's wrong. You can sell me. You can't sell me that, like, I was I, – I just had to play it safe against Sean Strickland, so I just had to get the W. He needs to put this dude away. He needs to put this dude away before the championship rounds. And for me to give him an A-plus, he needs to put away all this bullshit about Hamzat and whatever – and come out. We all know the fight. It's the fight you were you were trying to make and then got real weird and, to your credit, walked back some of your statements about, you know, things you've said previously about debating people's nationalities. We got to fight. Knock this dude out and then pick up the mic and say, Drickus Duplessis, you're fucking next. And that's it. And that's an A plus for me. BC, how, how do we get there? Would you do anything differently to get to that A plus if you're Israel Adesanya? Well, I wouldn't call out. Uh, I wouldn't call out DDP afterwards because uh, Hamzat's going to be coming through that door if Dana has anything to say about it. But no, this should be an Izzy knockout. I get what he's saying, and he's right. Strickland doesn't have the the power threat, although he is an aggressive fighter who pushes the pace to to you know to necessarily make it worth it for Izzy to do one of these. Where I'm just going to stay on the outside and wait for you to cross that line. No, Izzy's going to have to go up to that line, and I think he should have the confidence from how he knocked out uh, Pereira to be more offensive inclined in this one. Uh, One thing to note, though, and I have been following Izzy's words this week carefully, really just to see if there's anything we can pick out, right? Almost like a Rockhold Bisping type of mirrors or something. Is Izzy overlooking? No, Izzy said all the right things. He's treating Strickland more dangerous than he actually believes he's talented because he knows that Strickland has nothing to lose. He's a crazy guy. I think it's more likely that Strickland crosses that line and trying to make something happen and gets served, you know, maybe not as quickly and dramatically as Poetan did, but, but on that, on that aspect, but the idea of how is this a, an A plus, well, yeah, a knockout of Strickland, some type of emoji celebration, and then a nice call out in any direction would be great. But how about this? One thing Izzy did say this week is he doesn't expect uh, Strickland to stand with him. He thinks Strickland will be trying some wrestling on him. And he said he did bring in Craig Jones of No Spears fame to really work with him on the ground. Obviously, Craig Jones has been a big part in taking Alexander Volkanovsky already one of the best fighters in the world today, if not the best, in really helping him round out his ground game and the work he was able to do opposite uh, Islam Mahachev to really become number one with a bullet pound for pound, even off of a loss to Mahachev. Izzy said, look, I've been all around the world with Craig lately. If we got to take this guy down and get our first submission win, we're willing to do that too. I think that's the real potential for A-plus for Izzy. If you can beat up Strickland on the feet and then maybe F around and try something a little bit different to put him away. But after the fact, when there are big upsets, we do try to say, man, what did we miss? What should we have saw coming? Guys, I know joint manipulation is banned in the UFC, and I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but our titty 
twister's legal? Because if there's any hole in Izzy's game, it's the fact that that right nip does sag dangerously low. No, not due to PEDs, really due to overexertion. But uh, if, if Strickland can get on that and really just yank it, he's got a shot. If not, no, it's a knockout, guys. I mean, come on, what are we doing here? I mean, this fight could have it all. We could get an awful waffle. We could get a, one of those sunburn things, some noogies, the whole the whole kit and caboodle in this one. I love it. Uh, let's move on. There are some things to talk about with the rest of this card, mostly based on what happened earlier today. And I know you're you're looking at me I, stunned, Jed. I'm Go fairly ahead. certain noogies are allowed. I don't think that titty twisters are. So factor that into your predictions. Well, you're going to have to go to the next ABC meeting and – Put a put together a pitch there, BC. Dude, to Mizzouli, add this to Mizzouli the rules set. Yeah, Mizzouli is not ready for a titty twister. <laughs> and at the, the point minimum, <laughs> at the minimum, that feels like that falls under unsportsmanlike conduct. Now, as we know, referees don't call shit in MMA, so maybe it will be legal for the first two. It's true. Before we nothing's, start taking nothing's away. illegal if you just do it. It's all fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, the point for round two goes to. Jed Mishu, it's one-to-one. Nicely done. Now let's talk about the rest of this card. Yes. Uh, hopefully this will not be a 30-minute segment, but BC, let's let, let's go here. 12 fights. We got a, a lot of local flavor on this one from the Oceanic region. We have the main event. We got Tai Tuivasa. Everybody loves Tai Tuivasa taking on Alexander Volkov in the co-main. Minel Kopp was supposed to fight Kaikar France. That was a great fight. Kaikar France, concussion. They almost fought today at the press conference, and we'll get into that in a moment. Cop now facing a 22-year-old unbeaten newcomer. I hate to even ask this question, but we got him, man. We, 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 if, if it's one thing we do, we tell the truth. On yeah. paper, is this the worst pay-per-view of 2023? Is this worse than 288? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out where this fits all time. I mean, it's hard to really make that distinction because the UFC really did go through some lean times in the early 2000s of trying to just keep the brand together post-Zufa purchase and figure it out. In modern times, in this calendar year, which I hate to be that Debbie Downer because we all love MMA every Saturday night like clockwork, but no, it's been a interesting year in matchmaking. Not great. Unexplainably not great. Uh, it's hard, right, um, in the in theory to complain when we got a UFC Paris fight night card that felt like more than your average fight night card, and next week we get a UFC Noche card that feels a little bit more, you know, almost like a almost like a low level pay per view. Well, that produced a low level pay per view in between. In fact, the lowest of lows. Am I interested? Did Manel Cop steal the show today? That I suddenly want to see everything he does moving forward. Yes. Is Carlos Olberg a beautiful man enough that I'd lo- I'd pay to see his DMs? Also true. But outside of Tai Tuivasa, there really is not another storyline that really should attract your attention, your care, and I think most importantly, your wallet. And I don't think that's me trying to be some negative Nancy that's trying to take money away from the UFC. It's just, again, this is kind of just Rob Peter to play pay Paul. Let's fill out our, our dates. The story that matters here is Tai Tuivasa coming off of not only two losses, two devastating losses, but in a two-month span with some poor matchmaking choices and then a surprise 10-month layoff for him. He's back in the deep end of pool against Alexander Volkov, which either means Volkov is the best of the heavyweights who have no chance to win a title or the worst of the elite ones. But I think that what I'm focused on is not Tuivasa's new wild salad on top of his head or the outfit that he wore. It's this, the first 30 seconds to 60 seconds of this fight against uh, Volkov. That'll show me who Tai Tuivasa 
actually believes he is moving forward. Because if he stays on this path of partying, good guy, fan favorite, I'll drink egg, take a shit in your shoe, I'll eat it too, whatever you got, got bro, it's all about having a good time. You do have a window tie in a star-studded heavyweight division to prove us wrong and make some huge noise and thunder. Did I ever believe heading into the Cyril Gon fight that Tai Tuivasa had a chance to become a legitimate elite heavyweight and title challenger? No. Did I learn in that fight that there's a window that maybe I'm underestimating everything that's under that hood? Yes, he does have an elite next level caveman chin. He has legitimate power. He's way more athletic than people give him credit to get in position to land big shots. It's also a big boy, not easy to throw around and handle, but he looks at this sport as a big party, which is his right and his choice. He's in it for the paydays. He's basically on his way of being Derek Lewis 2.0. Being Derek Lewis 2.0 still gets you a lot of money, still gets you high placement, still puts you in fun fights. But I need to see a recommitment to his game from this 10-month absence. I need to see an attempt at rounding out the holes in his game, an attempt at coming in in really better shape, which I don't think seeing him this week he might have necessarily did. I want to see the intention of Tuivasa in the first minute of this fight because if it's caveman fun, well, we're all going to have a good time, but this guy's going to juggle wins and losses for the rest of his career. When I'm telling you, Heavyweight may be deep again, but it's still top-heavy deep. This guy proved to me against Cyril Gaon. He can surprise an MFer. I think it's time he goes all in on his career. I really want to see him give it the best shake. I have no level of confidence that he sees it that same way. That was uh that that was a compelling pitch right there. You might have sold a pay-per-view or two right there, BC, to get people to watch Tai Tuivasa. Jed, um, are you willing to to sell some pay-per-views, or is this is this ain't worth selling for you? No, this is the worst card by far. And frankly, I'm offended. Uh, I think Brian should be uh, uh, depressed and ashamed about what he is asking for right here because he's asking us to take Tai Tuivasa, a man who we know who he is. I said when he beat Derek Lewis and was inexplicably like the number three in our rankings or whatever, I was like, this is pretty clearly the highest he's ever going to get because it's a miracle he's here now. We Why are we trying to make him a good fighter? We know what he is. Don't change this man. Let him fly his flag and just be Derek Lewis 2.0. Fun and exciting, and he's going to beat the hell out of some dudes, and he's going to get iced up by some dudes, and it's going to be awesome. I don't need to see a recommitment to his game. Honestly, I don't even know what a recommitment to his game would look like. What is a tie to Ivasa <laughs> who's technically sound or, like, well-rounded? That's not a tie to Ivasa I want to engage with. If you tell me now that this dog shit pay-per-view is about to have tied to Ivasa, committed to becoming a better martial artist, I, that makes me want this less. I want Tai Tuivasa who's going to rumble young man, rumble with Volkov in there because that's the only selling point to this pay-per-view. If you are spending 80 bucks, it's either because you are really into Israel Adesanya, really want to see Sean Strickland get knocked out, and I promise you there is a highlight that you can watch that's going to be way doper and free on the internet. If that's your game, you don't need to give the UFC 80 bucks for that. Or you just want to watch some some Oceanic fighters, you know, some Aussies and some Kiwis, do some dirt. Because you're going to get that. Justin Toff is about to chuck them. And so, like, this will be a fun pay-per-view main card. Unless Brian gets his way and we've got mixed martial <laughs> artist tie, then this is going to be weird and awful. So, no, I don't want to see that at all. I don't want to pay 80 bucks for this. Fortunately, I don't have to. Uh, this wonderful website is is going to cover that for me so I can cover this fantastic event. 
here's I don't actually know if I can say this on air. Uh, I'm going to do it. And I, here's how bad this card is, Mike. We we had an argument like a couple like uh, in the pre-fight thing like a week ago about this. Is this the worst pay-per-view? And we did a roundtable on it. And somebody said some of the others. I was like, no, this is very clearly the worst pay-per-view. Uh, and then I now feel a thousand percent vindicated. We aren't even going to do live blogs for all of the pay-per-view. <laughs> We do live blogs for every pay-per-view fight for as long as I've been here. And we're just like, honestly, not even worth it. Does any do we care about a live blog for Justin Top Austin Lane? We don't. It's, this is the worst pay-per-view by a long shot. And if Ty isn't fun, then it's it, this is gonna be a catastrophe of an event. Wow. I love the point wow. counterpoint here. Um, and, I mean, Jed, I don't want to take what Ty can't give, but I'd rather him starve a little bit than keep eating that bread and actually go after it. All right. Sorry that I would want somebody to fulfill the full wishes of their potential here, including he your is, hairstyle. OK, including your hairstyle. Jed, it's time. OK, it's time. It is. It is time. Ty, look, Ty's fulfilling all the wishes of his thing, uh, of his style. It's the best. Just put him in there to rumble. Volkov's going to rumble. We don't need Ty to fight Tom Aspinall or whatever. That's going to be boring. I don't but need Jed, to see can't, can't we have both? Can we, can we have both? Look at Derek Lewis. We got abs out of Derek Lewis. Dude is in the best shape of his life. What's the first thing he did against Marcus Ruggieri to Lima? He didn't go for a takedown. He didn't sweep the leg. He threw a fucking flying knee. Ty Tuivasa throwing flying knees. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it's against, it's I think that's all Marcus BC's Ruggieri trying to say. Lima. Well, if, I mean, look. if BC's definition of becoming a better mixed martial artist is to add flying knees to your game, then okay. <laughs> One, that's insane in a way that I would love. So I'm absolutely for it. But usually when people say become a better mixed martial artist, they mean, John Jones, instead of doing dope spinning stuff, why don't you like learn to jab and stay away from people and, and become a substantially shittier and less interesting fighter? I don't want that for Ty. I want my man to get in and chuck him and just see what happens happens because that's fun it's who he is i just i, I want to add this to this extended point if you let me michael uh I can i call you that honored. i hope i can michael. i don't think this is sustainable for the ufc the what this this level of sort of watered down matchmaking where we're not really going to comment about it and luckily no one's going to raise their hand at the press conferences and bring it up and be like hey dana is there like a reason why this year's kind of sucked outside of the main and co-mains like what's really going on here obviously we get financially sort of fulfilling the deal trying to minimize what they deem unnecessary expenses hey a lot of debt to pay off especially after endeavor just bought the wwe but i'm a little bit nervous mixed with the obvious post realities of this lawsuit that the fighters are, are now bringing to court and the idea of maybe you know flipping upside down the whole idea of free agency and draconian contracts and all of that i mean it just feels like ufc doesn't care at all i did talk to some you know readers followers of mine down under and they're like there's no buzz for this australian card like whatsoever nobody's talking about it except for the ufc social accounts and oh by the way it's like 1400 australian to like get into the building here ufc is price gouging around the globe right now at a level we've you know you only see in las vegas mayweather boxing and the cards are getting worse uh, this is this ain't this ain't long-term sustainable the, the road we're on right now does everybody understand this like, what are we doing here? You see, I mean, I, I I hope you're right, but this card sold out before it even had a main event. Ty Tuivasa Volkov is the only fight announced, and it's sold out. It's insane. Okay. There, there's, a, there's a short term that that's going to keep working on name value and brand. 
But how many fans are you turning away? How many people are you forcing to illegally stream? Because, you know, they might want to have a watch party. But, dude, can you pay for this? This is unacceptable matchmaking. No, it really is. And I get if you're just saying, look, I don't care. I illegally stream them all anyway. We had a good card last week. We got a decent card next week. This card will be fine. Maybe it will be. Maybe some unknown oceanic brawlers are going to come out and steal the show. But this is not growing the sport. If anything, you're slowly squeezing your hardcore fans, which boxing does all the time. So I'm not going to sit here and try to defend my favorite sport, but that's the problem. I watch what goes on in boxing. I watch that slippery slope happen. Our favorite boys over the USC are sliding right into that same model very slowly, but surely. And it's all about money at the end of the day. So whatever, I don't know. Whatever. hundred percent. Oh, you're absolutely right. That's the point. <laughs> it's all about money. They're paying the, the paying the UFC millions to come and host a card that is selling out they don't care how many pay-per-view buys this thing is going to do because they're getting a big bunch of money from the broadcasting partners too. So none of that matters right now. But I, again, to your point, I hope you're right. I hope eventually we get to a point where it's like, I'm not spending $775 to sit in the balcony yes. to watch Menel Cop fight a 7-0 newcomer. No offense to either of those guys, but I mean, come on now. That's I'm the main card. I mean, can yeah. Parker Porter be the special guest referee for this uh, Tafa Lane unnecessary rematch? I mean, what are we doing here? I'm glad you said I mean, Parker this Porter rematch because is very look, necessary. Look, you guys can spend. We didn't bucks. get an answer in the first one, guys. We need this rematch. <laughs> yes, I don't need it. an answer. All right, all right. You know, listen. You bet. You mentioned the goat, Parker Porter. If you don't want to spend 85 bucks on this pay per view, joining us for Tai Tuivasa. Versus Alexander Volkov on the MMA Fighting Watch Party. No way. Will be Paca Porter. He will in be person? watching the fight with us. Uh, he will be zoomed in, but he will be there watching the fight with us. He will be share in my the Connecticut house. love and respect with him, please. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh God, I, I think we're all. He's going to be showered with praise. But uh, real quick before we move on to Mike, a can really I say something game. before you move uh, on? I, I, I would love you to please. I. Well, one, I know everyone's asking. Um, the committee <laughs> met, and this this officially received zero Mashulin stars. If you are in <laughs> Sydney, Australia, uh, I wouldn't even go. Like, I'm not even kidding. I would not pay the pr- the price of entry to go to this if I were in Sydney. Sydney's a vibrant city. There's a lot of stuff going on. Go out, be with your friends. If you're not in Sydney. You should go to mafine.com, great website. We'll keep you updated on all the things that are happening, even though we won't have live blogs for the main card. But most <laughs> importantly, Mike, the thing I wanted to say was instead of spending $80 to watch, uh, I'm going to say th- three predictable outcomes, one coin flip and one genuinely who gives a shit. Uh What you can do instead is watch that watch party where y'all will at least – at least feign interest in these five <laughs> fights and you, so you can get the experience of watching it without spending 80 bucks. Cause to my understanding, the watch party remains free. That is free content for you to enjoy instead of uh, watching Israel, Adesanya jab and low kick Sean Strickland for 25 minutes. <laughs> I know which one I choose. Yes. Um, and I have bets on this card for the for the sake of entertainment. So you'll get to see those bets on the watch party as well. Uh, real quick, and then we'll go on to the fun game. Uh, BC, best fight on this card that nobody's talking about. And obviously there's a number of them oh, to choose boy. from. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason, Mike, that nobody's talking about this whole damn card. Um, I do want to see what's going on with Carlos Olberg, who I talked about before. 32 years old, but that four straight 
victories three the last three by first round knockout he's handsome as crap he's the cute younger brother at the uh city kickboxing factory that right there i don't expect that he's moving up uh to a level where we're going to call these live bodies jung daun but that that's that's sort of outside of jack della madalena which seems to be the next thing from australia Olberg might he might have a moment here. Let's see what happens here. But no, I'm not. No, what do you want me? You want me to actually like sell the rest of these fights? No, no, no. No, I'm not asking. I'm asking you to sell yourself on one fight that you really like on this card that no one's talking about. I got. I mean, I, I like Manel Cobb. I don't like this fight, but I like Manel Cop. I mean, what you know? Oh, I like the other that guy with that awful nickname too, right? What was that guy? The Pleasure Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, Basically, I would pay for this pay-per-view just to see how awkward they can use the Pleasure Man nickname on the commentary team. That's the only reason why I'm here, okay? All right. Look, we, we talked about it on No Bets Bar this week, and I have almost nothing good to say about this fight card. <laughs> but credit. And and this was pointed out to me by Connor Burks. This was not a Jed Mishu find, so shouts to CB. Absolute credit to whoever, whoever went – Carlos, ladies' night, Ulberg, that fight leads directly into the Pleasure Man fight. So that is – that's some classic Joe Silva fight card building right there, and I see you. I see you, whoever's doing that work. Good work. There you go. Do you have a Loki banger, Jen? I do. Uh, we also talked about this briefly on No Bits Bar this week, and it's not, it's not a fight that anybody would think about, um, but – it has particularly interesting to me for the dumbest of reasons. It's I, the, now I know what you're going to say. It's <laughs> Kevin Gisette versus Kiefer Crosby. One, Kevin Gisette is uh, a French, like a French fighter who wasn't at Paris because he's a CKB dude, which is hilarious to me. That's like, yeah, no, we'll just do the CKB thing. It's fine. But Kiefer Crosby is really the, the main attraction here because I did not realize that Kiefer Crosby uh, has made a career of beating up bums in the best way possible. He most recently fought at Kingpin and fought Aaron Chalmers in Kingpin, which is delightful. And I put myself in tears laughing uh, when I discovered that within the past calendar year, he fought Brian Lone, Joe, who's like, if you were deep in the forum game, like, 12 15 years ago you'd be like hey wasn't that a jobber in like pride and rings like yeah and this dude fought him when he's like pushing 50 so uh Kiefer crosby shouts to you and your management for just getting the dubs in however you can so i'm looking forward to seeing this travesty unfold from kingpin to the ufc what a freaking story yes i listened to the dude, he went from bellator I, I, laughing with you he fought like real people in Bellator and lost and then was like, what if instead I fight a 50-year-old guy with a 6-12 and 12 record who was like jobbing in rings in the 1990s? What an incredible career arc. I love it so much. I hope Kiefer Crosby wins just forever, but I bet against him on principle. I was just going to say, did you bet on Crosby? I guess you didn't. So. No, bet yeah, against him on principle. It's hey, listen. If this last segment didn't get you to get excited for UFC 293, there's literally nothing else that can be done to get you into UFC 293. So uh, you could replace we'll move on. some of these fights with good fights. That might get me. <laughs> well, let, let's move on to a to a fun final round uh, that kind of has to do with UFC 293, but not really. Uh, the point for round three goes to. 
I mean, if you make a Brian Lowenjo reference on BTL, you're pretty much guaranteed a point, and that's what's happening here. Two to one, Jed Mishu. Oh, Fun God. round. Oh, sh- I mean, shouts to Brian Low and Joe, man. That yes, is, absolutely. It had been like well over a decade since I'd thought of him as a person. Yes. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So, all right, so for this final round, we're going to play a fun little game. Uh, We're going to react to some things that UFC President Dana White has said over the last few days. And... You guys are going to tell me whether he's right, wrong, or he's like kind of right, kind of wrong. So, Jed, we're going to begin with you. Uh, this first comment, wrong. let me just pull it up here. Uh, at the Contender Series wrong. post-fight presser, Dana White was asked about his interest in the UFC buying Bellator. Just recently, Front Office Sports reported that PFL was nearing a deal to buy out Bellator for a valuation of $500 million. None of that has been confirmed. This has been reported. Uh, Days later, a few days later, PFL announces a plan to sell minority stake in the company to SRJ Sports Investments, which is an offspring of the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund for $100 million, which has only increased the conversations amongst the MMA community about PFL purchasing Bellator. So when Dana was asked about the UFC's interest, in Bellator, here's what he said: "Quote, why on God's green fucking earth would anybody buy Bellator? So what we were just talking about with business and making the right moves and making the right decisions. There's been lots of bad ones. Bellator would be one of the effing biggest. Why anybody would buy Bellator is beside me. But sit back and see how this plays out. I'm excited. Jed, is he right, wrong, or kind of right, kind of wrong in your reaction to these comments?" Um, I'm sorry. I am. I, I missed this news and I am news. 
I am still just dying at the $500 million valuation. That is absolutely incredible. Um, dude, I, I freaking love business deals because they're just 93% just total nonsense. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't remember what the Dana quote was, so I'm going to say wrong because it, it is wrong. Um, oh, this was the one about why would anyone want to buy Bellator? Yes. Um, because they have good fighters. Uh, I, I don't actually totally disagree in that, like, I'm not really interested in buying Bellator the brand because I don't know that it matters. Uh, but if if that's the shortcut to getting access to fighters, I mean, I could turn it around and be like, why did you buy Pride? What did you get from Pop Pride that you spent, like, I think it was, like 120 million dollars or something to buy pride it's like a decent chunk of change and they got a video library that is not worth that much money and they got like 12 fighter contracts uh as like it so this is probably a better deal certainly for the pfl in their circumstance if it goes through because bellator holds 10 percent of the best fighters in the world like i i think i did the math a while ago i haven't updated it so maybe it's changed a little bit but 10% of the fighters in the MMA fighting global rankings, the only rankings that really matter, are Bellator fighters. So they have by far the biggest selection of top talent that isn't in the UFC. And purchasing Bellator gives you a, a dramatic increase in the quality of, of your fight roster, whoever you are. So, I mean, honestly, the UFC should buy it because they got 42 events a year to fill out and they could use some help. So maybe we wouldn't be getting stuff like 293 and be expected <laughs> to pay 80 bucks for it. So uh, all the way wrong is my answer. BC, right, wrong, or in the middle? Kind of more in the middle, uh, you'd have to say, look, like, uh, is that evaluation large? Yes. But is Dana, you know, shitting on a competitor here unnecessarily? Yeah. I mean, Jed just laid it out with the percentage of highly ranked fighters. And if you look at Bellator right now, what's the best thing they've done in recent years? Develop homegrown talent that sometimes we start to make those arguments. People like Vadim Nemkov, uh, Yaroslav Amoslav, now Usman Nurmagomedov, the arguments of, hey, does the UFC really have the best fighter in this specific division, or is there an argument? You've got what's left of the great Patricio Pitbull. You've got Aaron Pico. You've got a good mixture of old and new, which would make it valuable for PFL because they're going to have one shot, and that one shot is next year to legitimately make a run at getting some level of a dent in the competition mon monopoly monsopsony. I need John S. Nash to actually pronounce these words right, that UFC holds on the business right now. So it would be a very smart move from the, for them. So Dana would be wrong to crap all over that. And one other thing here where Dana's wrong and I don't love it. You know what would be a Vince McMahon move and Dana – has made many Vince McMahon moves and, you know, or, you know, the, the, Mc, the Vince McMahon before he touched all those ladies, right? Like that Vince, um, a Vince McMahon move would be what you referenced buying pride to shut it down, buying strike force to shut it down. If the UFC was still looking at growing the sport and dominating the world with the same passion and fervor they once had, they probably would have already bought Bellator before PFL could shut it down and absorbed Again, a very talented roster into what their roster, which is already the most talented in the world. The problem is instead of doing stuff like that, Dana's willing to sit on his laurels and take his eye off the ball. That's actually a good thing if true competition in this space is your hope and your goal. Not because any of us actually believe that this damn smart cage, I mean, how intelligent could this piece of metal actually be, you know, could lead them to be like a legitimate, you know, WCW to WWF type deal. 
But could PFL become, you know, like where Strike Force was more than a decade ago? It's not impossible, especially in my opinion, what, what, what happens to their future TV deal. Can they become a pay-per-view home with faces and names like Jake Paul, Francis Ngannou, and a bunch of female boxers who have crossed over? They might get some attention through that. But they're going to need that depth of that roster of Bellator to add to their already ex, uh, existing roster to fill out those cards and make you want to come back. So I actually do think it's a good thing for competition here that Dana Endeavor and company are so tied into paying off their their dead and pretending that nothing else matters. But you know what's not going to fly anymore? All this bragging Dana and the UFC does that, oh, look, another Dana White Contender Series alum has become champion. Hey, Dana, this just in. Like 70% of your roster right now are Dana White Contender Series graduates that are managed by Jason House and are willing to enter the, the promotion on 12 and 12 contracts. That was strategic. That's actually not something to brag about. We're slowly running out of people who don't fit that mold because that's the new factory clone system that General Dana Palpatine is trying to put out there. I wish we had that fervor and spirit of Dana of old, even though the stakes and the financial realities have changed a bit, because I'd like to see him go full ham, full on war against PFL. And I do think that's coming, by the way, because Don Davis, one of the PFL co-leaders there, has not been afraid publicly saying, look, UFC, like, we're coming after you. We are trying to compete here. I think personally, my own conspiracy theory that Dana has been told at times by Disney and ESPN to stand down a bit. I can't think Dana would love sharing a network with them, but I think the day PFL goes to their next stop, maybe that's next year. I'm not fully aware of their TV contract at the moment. Maybe that begins this actual war. And if you don't think that's fun and a good thing as a fan, uh, then A, you don't have a soul for caring about the fighter's interest when it comes to free agency and contracts. But B, what does competition brew? What have we learned this in pro wrestling? Competition brews promoters not sitting back on their laurels, not putting out fight cards like the one we have this Saturday and actually putting their best foot forward and going after it. So I could not cheer for this potential PFL buyout of Bellator anymore because it's time. It's time to have uh, to knock on the door of UFC and say, okay, guys, show us how great you are again. Because when they do, by the way, and they have done that a few times this year, we've had some tremendous, spectacular pay-per-view cards. It reminds you of what it could be like, what it should be like, what it was just the last couple of years. This year has blown. We're going in the wrong direction, guys. So, no, Dana's mostly wrong in his reaction to this. I mean, PFL could do it with realistic promotional ideology and a better statistical graphics department we could uh we could have well, something well, mike, here but mike one i don't know is this quote connected to what dana said specifically about saudi because that's one thing i think he's underestimating when he says we've seen this before i've seen you know affliction come through and fail i've seen people throw on money i just want to say one thing i'm not here to tell you that pfl is like the odds are are in their favor that they're going to pull this off they're going to try really hard but saudi money does seem to be different than all that other money that Dana's talking about. Saudi Arabia, let's remember, paid Anthony Joshua $85 million to show up for that, that Andy Ruiz boxing rematch. And all they've done since then, from the WWE to boxing to golf to whoever's willing to show up, is put out astronomical amounts of money. If you don't think that that's not something, Dana, you do have to wake up a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on here. BC, lead us off with this one. When asked about Drickus Duplessis being next for the winner of Saturday's main event, 
course, DDP earned the shot after stopping Bobby Knuckles. And if I'm DDP, I'm taking a one-way trip to Sydney and sitting cage side. But he couldn't make the quick turnaround. Now Sean Strickland is in. Dana's response, as expected, you know how much I love when guys turn down fights. I don't know. We'll see what happens on Saturday, and we'll go from there. What did this mean? What did this uh, mean? It mean? It means DDP effed himself, with, and it's not really fair, right? You know, DDP had some physical hangover from that great Robert Whitaker win and things that needed to be addressed. And who could blame a guy who suddenly is red hot and the, the, the waves have parted as much as I said, it was a perfect storm to get Sean Strickland into a title shot against Adesanya. Dude, it was a perfect storm to get DDP here. Yes. He did win the fight that I thought was unwinnable, laughably unwinnable against Whitaker. And he did it by knockout, but you should be allowed as a fighter to say, Hey, promotion, I know you want me to turn this around on like no time in like two, three months because you booked that date because Sydney's paying you a ton of money and you promised them out of Sonya. But just like when Ngannou needed another month to recover from winning the title when the UFC needed him to run it back and then when he wouldn't so quickly, they're like, well, screw you. We're putting an interim title at stake. And oh, by the way, we're going to turn on you and talk bad about you for the rest of your life. It's petty BS that doesn't make a lot of sense right here. And unfortunately for DDP, who did what I thought was the impossible and now actually is a viable contender. But again, let's not not overlook the fact that it was Izzy cleaning out the rest of the division that opened a path, the same path that opened up for, for Poetan to get to the title level so quickly too, by the way, um, he may have missed his window. And here's the thing. Yeah. Dana's petty enough where if you aren't willing to fight with a broken leg and fight somebody at short notice, can it penalize you? It can. And I think DDP has benefited from Hamza Chemaev's sort of weird lost weekend that has been the fallout of his victory over Kelvin Holland after missing weight by a conspiratorial amount to allow Nate Diaz to walk free happily with a victory so that they can still keep in play the idea of him coming back to fight Connor. We haven't seen Chemaev come off of that victory because of some options. And I think he had lingering injuries. There's a long season there. We didn't know what the hell he's doing. Which division is he going? Is he fighting Usman? What the hell's going on here? DDP had his window. But Dana just lets you know that it closed and that the promotion firmly intends if Hamzat beats Costa to go in that direction. And you know what? All things considered, I'll say it's a shitty take by Dana. It's a petty move by the organization. But if you got a chance to make Izzy against Shemaev, if both of them come off of, let's say, stoppage wins, I also kind of understand that. Because I think Shemaev, unlike even the rising DDP, is that rare guy who actually could become, for a season, the pay-per-view face of your sport as an absolute badass. I think that window is still there. So what did that mean, Mike Heck? It means a DDP's SOL. Not fair, but that's the rules of the game that has existed here since Zufa took over. Jed, agree or disagree? I agree with BC in large part. Uh, this is bullshit from Dana. Um, this is the type of stuff, right? Like this is the type of stuff where you get the white knights caping for Dana and the UFC at all costs. I'm just like, explain yourselves. What? This is the UFC's fuck up. They booked a fight two months before this, knowing that in the bet, like that the best case scenario happened. DDP got through relatively unscathed, but relatively is the operative word there. They knew this could have happened and they just did it anyway because they forgot that they were doing a pay-per-view in Australia or whatever the reason is. Uh, and now this is it. This is the part more than any of the other parts that bothers me about Dana White as president of the UFC. Um, look, all of it is morally objectionable in like very clear ways. The part that grates on me is just 
why you gotta be such a petty little ass? Like, why can't you just be like, oh, other people are allowed to have have choice and thing? Like, because this isn't even DDP like publicly being like, no, I want more money, but like, and that's it. Dana Dana can at least understand that. Like, oh, he's asking for more money. I disrespect that, but I do understand the idea that money is the only thing that matters whatsoever. So, okay, this is him just being like, no, homie, I'm not ready. I don't. I can't do that for you. Sorry, and he can't 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 do it. So, the, this level of pettiness in this stage is the part that bothers me most about Dana White still being an active role player in this because this isn't how business is done anywhere in the world like this just isn't it and so it's really annoying to be like hey the they should have fought we should have just booked DDP Izzy for this event without the Whitaker fight you rolled the dice the Whitaker fight happened Andy won and now we have a number one with the bullet no questions asked bona fide number one contender and now he might not get it because Hamza, who's been gone for like a minute. I don't know where the hell Hamza's been. He could have been fighting during this time and just didn't. But the UFC isn't bugging about that. So it's this is just the shit that bothers me uh, like as a fan. And I don't understand how fans of the sport and of MMA and just people with like any general sense of emotional empathy or the ability to rationalize can be like, yeah. That's like all of us in that category. Should be like, this is stupid and dumb, and I hate it. And yet, there will be people probably in the comments right now saying, "Cuck, you beta, whatever. Yeah, cut your hair. Cut your but, hair already, you beta. That's yeah. business, baby. You should have fought. If you can't, just title fights don't go growing on trees. You're right, they don't. And if he was refusing to turn around after he had beaten, I don't even who like Nasruddin Imovov, then okay. That ain't what happened. He beat the dude. The title fight didn't grow on the tree. He chopped the fucking tree down while beating Robert Whitaker worse than anybody other than Izzy has ever done. Like, it's this is it. We got one fight. Just make the damn fight and be allow somebody to say no. <laughs> Just somebody can, people can say no, and it is not a personal assault on you or your masculinity or whatever the hell it is that makes you so irate about this shit. Just let people say no, it's fine. Look. Just to be fair, in response to those people, um, no promoter has been safe on this show. None of them. We spent 35 to 40 minutes just ripping Don Davis for that graphic they put up about how successful they are. 80%. Yeah, we put the graphic on the screen and just lost our minds. And if Scott Coker said things like this, we would talk about it. When Josh Thompson said things about the media, we talked about it as well. Nobody is yeah, safe. When, when Chatry said that yeah. that his press releases were seen by 54 billion people, you know, it's it's worth at least asking if that actually happened, right? Yes. And we, we joke about that on like one every two shows on this program, uh, on this podcast network. Uh, we do have time for one more. I do want to talk about this one. Uh, day, this is also data on Tuesday, Jed Mishu, and then BC, I'll give you a chance to respond. Uh, he's responding to a question about Aljamain Sterling wanting a rematch with Sean O'Malley and how him and Marab and Walsh Billy are kind of handling this situation. And here's what he said. Here's the thing with Sterling. I'll tell you my personal experience. When you sit down with Aljamain one-on-one, he's a great guy, great kid, very likable and everything else. Decisions he makes in public 
and things that he says in public do not make him the most popular guy on the roster. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know if it's self-sabotage or what it is. He always seems to say the wrong things in times when if he even said remotely close to the right things, people would love him. He's a great kid, got a great physique, one-on-one. He's a good kid, but in public, he just can't help himself. Your thoughts on this, Jed? I know Dana and Aljo have not had the greatest relationship since Aljo won the title. This kind of continues on. What did you make of these comments and where Dana's coming from here? This one actually isn't all bad um, from Dana. Um, there's a major caveat. I'll get to that at the end. I'll keep this brief. Um, on its face, much of this is true. Now, should it be true? No. I do not think that any of the things Aljamain Sterling says are largely objectionable. But again, I can rationalize, and that's uh, a skill that evades many people, many fans in this space. Um, it is objectively very dumb to have done, and I said at the time and maintained, to have said and have done the things that he said at various points in his career. I maintain all the way, 1,000%, that he won the title totally legit. Uh, and that he should have celebrated, but you do can't come out and be like, this isn't a real title. Like I don't, this, I didn't want to win it this way. And then go celebrating after the fact and be like, I can't believe that people are upset by this. Like you got to pick a lane and stay in it. My guy, it's just where it's at. Um, and then like a lot of the other stuff that he has said is stuff that is obviously antagonistic to the core MMA fan base. And so, you just can't be a dummy. You have to understand what you're saying and, and who, who your audience is. And while, again, I don't think that it should have been like a big deal for a lot of those people, it very obviously was going to be. And so you just have to have to know and regulate that if if that's something you care about. And obviously, Aljamain Sterling did. So I think in that respect, everything that Dana said is correct. Um, he did not endear himself to fans uh, because of who the fans are. And that's how that goes. The The big elephant in the room of that statement from Dana. The caveat I mentioned earlier is that a lot of that just general energy is driven by Dana White, who himself is the promoter of Aljamain Sterling and regularly threw this motherfucker under the bus about as hard as he could. And those two things are interrelated. If Dana came out and was like, man, you know, uh, Aljamain won. Piotrion shouldn't have, shouldn't have thrown that knee. It's very illegal and very stupid and put shifted the burden onto Piotrion. Then that's where the narrative would have gone amongst the fan base because they, he is largely the guiding light of the masses in this respect, but that's not what he did. He threw Aljo under the bus and then kept throwing him under the bus at every future point and continues to do so about the whole, oh, I don't want to fight my friend stuff. Like that's, this is all driven by him. So objectively he is correct when he says that, you know, I'll just say, Aldo keeps saying a lot of stuff that isn't the best in, in public as far as getting fans to like him. He's just leaving out the part that a lot of that second aspect of it is directly driven by him, and he's not doing Aljo any favors. He's not helping him in any regard. So uh, I'll give him a little more leeway on this one. Uh, but I mean, it's still not great because Dana has never done a good thing in MMA since since the Ultimate Fighter. It's just where it's at, man. BC, from the comments that I've read from Dana, what has been more egregious, these comments or the fact that Tyson Fury has done interviews today saying that he wants to fight John Jones and not Usyk next? Uh, I saw you tweeting yeah. out. And uh, by the way, for those wondering, because the press conference between Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou was supposed to start at noon Eastern time, it like just started. So just to put that, 
just to see where where this whole thing is going to be going over the yeah. next couple of months. But what do you think, BC? Well, this is why. First of all, can the WBC strip Fury already for avoiding Usyk? And also, could somebody tell him that Dana once said, but didn't really mean it, that we don't do those type of gimmick fights unless <laughs> we need a gimmick like that to take the attention away from the gimmick Francis Ngannou wanted to do? Hey, look, here's the deal. Dana White... You can make the argument, judges, did you haven't done anything great since tough. And you can make the argument that some people make when they go one-on-one with him, former Eskimo bros, you know what I'm talking about, of, you know, you're the glorified fitness instructor who got lucky that his rich friends had that rich war chest that they could allow this sport to grow through. And also the connections with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Let's never overlook why UFC was able to buy that from SEG for, for peanuts when <laughs> nobody else was. Immediately after Lorenzo stepped, I love down that your argument in defense of him is as, is like pro corruption. This is the best. But here's what I'm gonna say: <laughs> I can still, I can still tolerate any hipster argument that that says Dana White is the most important person in mixed martial arts over its 30 years. I actually could get behind that and make that argument because a lot of why we are here today is because of what the front facing of Dana and the brains of Frank and Lorenzo have built. And I don't think he's an idiot, but Dana has passed that expiration date of being a positive for the sport. Yes. He remains his fans who will defend him at every turn. And yes, there's still, which was a game plan desired element from the beginning by making Dana, the face of the brand and not individual fighters. You held extra control over them and it helped over with the turnover that becomes natural in a sport like this, that we're still tuning in because we love Dana and we love that we get the best fights until we don't, by the way, but that's coming. But this is showing you right now, and maybe Dana should have learned from Vince McMahon, that Vince McMahon had a similar-like effect on wrestling in an earlier period, but I think he was more hands-on and even more important than Dana. But then Vince hung on too long, and he's still hanging on too long, and it, it wasn't long before he became a detriment to the product in ways that go beyond sexual assault and all that, and all the other allegations and all that. What I'm saying now is that this is just a trick that Dana has acquired, and Dana's having a troubled time right now adjusting from the Gestapo past and the control UFC has had, mostly through contracts and intimidation over the fighters, into what is inevitably, once this lawsuit plays out, and I think people get common sense and, and get sick of being sick and tired in the way that they're treated, that eventually we're going to grow out of this and look at this as the dark ages of fighters having no control. But the problem is... They not only have no control when it comes to contracts and negotiations with the UFC and all of that, but Dana does the really unforgivable thing for a sports commissioner on top of that, which you would never see David Stern or Roger Goodell or any of the other heroes do, which is have his favorites and regularly pick out those favorites and they can be blameless, which is why this whole Dana White privilege thing comes about. But if you're not one of his favorites, He'll do everything in his power to disparage you and discredit you publicly. Look at Tyron Woodley. Look at Aljamain Sterling. If you just end up as not Dana's guy, the promoter whose job it is to espouse how talented you are. Do you remember when Henan Burrell was Bantamweight champion? But, you know, no one's going to reviews because he's in the main event. What did the old Dana used to do? Get in every interview and go, hey, by the way, Henan Burrell's the pound-for-pound pound king, so you guys need to wake up. He's a future star on the rise here. Dana doesn't do that really at all anymore unless it's the hot-button choice of the moment, right? The O'Malley's, the Bo Nichols, the Chemayevs. When he picks out a guy he doesn't like, he's going to frame at every turn that these guys don't want to fight, that they're asking for. All this stuff that never verified and not actually true. 
we got to rotate past this phase of MMA and, and, you know, UFC history tied into that because it's bullshit. It's bullshit for the promoter to basically do that. Um, this is one of the biggest problems in the game today. And I don't think Dana White under the control and success he used to have can last in what we're naturally evolving into what MMA is going to become. But eventually it's going to become a place where fighters have more rights. And I hope when we get to that point that, look, behind the scenes, you can be as gnarly as you want when it comes to business. UFC can be heavy-handed. They can do all those things. But can we make it a level playing field? And can the promoter of the organization whose job it is to promote fights stop tearing down his champions just when he decides to because what? Because they got sick and they weren't able to make weight for the main event because they pushed back and wanted more time because they wanted to get paid like others in the industry. Anytime someone stands out and tries to make a move for themselves and for the future of fighters around them, they get labeled as a malcontent. They get labeled as somebody who's ducking tough fights, blah, 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 BS and BS. We're too far past this. We're too look. It's the Me Too era. I can't be walking around with Sean Strickland with holding up signs and saying, you know, let, let's get rid of suffrage. Women belong in the kitchen. That's bullshit. We wouldn't allow that. Didn't Australians have to put out a statement this morning saying, although we made this deal with the UFC, we don't actually agree with Strickland's comments about women. I think how Dana treats the fighters and how he talks about his own champions is akin to that level of BS. Let's move on from that. All right, please. Enough of this. I don't hate Dana. He's been an incredible maverick for the sport and getting it to where it is today and the jobs we hold today. But he's now a major problem in what this is going to look like moving forward. There you have it. All right. We will move on. Or maybe we won't. The point for round four goes to... I mean, this is about as close to a 10-10 round as you can get on BTL. But by a score of 10.9, 10 to 9.9999. Jed Mishu, it's 2 Score of 10.9, what a Oh, BC, BC, I'm sorry. BC gets the point. BC gets the point. It's 2 to 2. Wow. Wait, am I starting to pick up on a theme here that it always goes to the fifth round? What's going on here? It's only not happened once, BC. It's only not happened once. And Jed was the host. It's like Israel Adesanya fights when they aren't against Alex Pereira. The only person yeah. in the history of the show to get a victory before regulation ran out was me, and Jed was the host, and he showed favoritism. But I do want to – honestly, this is just a selfish effort. thing. This is just a selfish thing because I want to hear what you guys have to say in 60 seconds or less, and I do mean 60 <laughs> seconds or less. Uh, it's the final okay. round, so knockout round. Uh, one minute on the clock for each of these gentlemen. Uh, Jed, do you want to go first or do you want to go last? Uh, I'll go first. Sure, why not? Let's lead off. All right. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, and show your work. Uh, Seven. Of course, we have, of course, we have UFC two two ninety three coming up on Saturday. Uh, but before all that happens, as an appetizer for the combat sports enthusiasts, uh, tomorrow, Jacksonville, Florida, game bread bare knuckle going down. We have the rematch. Two former UFC heavyweight champions, Junior Dos Santos versus Fabricio Verdum. We got some notable names, Brandon Jenkins. We got Erwin Rivera, who used to fight in the UFC, Brandon Davis, uh, Maki Patolo, and other notable names. Some bare-knuckle MMA on Friday. So on a scale of 1 to 10 and why, your level of excitement for what Jorge Mazadal told me will be his landmark bare-knuckle MMA event tomorrow night. One minute on the clock, go. Uh, let's go f- six. 
I would not qualify this as excitement. I will say my my interest has been peaked. Uh, what's what's the Django line? Uh, you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. That's where we're at with this one. I don't think, I can't say this with absolute certainty because, you know, a lot of stuff happens in MMA. I don't feel like I've ever actually watched Bare Knuckle MMA since, like, watching videos of the old school pride days thank you landscaper for coming up right now that's terrific of you uh so i'm i'm interested in this in this respect um you know we get the fight that is a fight uh i don't know if either of these dudes have juice left but i got enough interest certainly in this main event the rest of the card uh i am interested in it strictly in the fact that like bare knuckle mma might be a fun thing but i don't care about the fights at all I am interested in the announcement he made on the MMA Hour yesterday, though. Alan Belcher versus Roy Nelson for the Game Bread Heavyweight Championship in October. Fights the winner of this for, like, a tournament. That's starting to cook something up in me. So six is where I'm at. Okay. Uh, BC, let's see. I don't know if you saw these guys on the scale. Uh, oh, six packs for days for JDS and Verdum, best shapes of their lives uh, that you saw that testing full thing of the past. Uh Interest, excitement levels, 0 to 10 for Game Bread Bare Knuckle, MMA tomorrow night. Go. I'm going to give it a hard, morbid 7. And now you understand my gas station diet issues. I've got a black liver, right? I've got the uh, non-alcoholic liver disease there. Uh, Here's the deal, though. I have morbid intrigue in this. But I just don't think JDS has the same level that I do. So first and foremost, let me say this. We don't need bare knuckle MMA. It's a stupid gimmick, okay? Bare knuckle boxing is also a stupid gimmick, but credit to Dave Feldman and BKFC for making soap opera pro wrestling and kind of making that interesting where both sports can cross over again. Put some gloves on. We don't actually need this rematch. But Jed said, I don't know if these two have any juice left. Oh, they have plenty of juice left, Jed. It's just not being produced by their body anymore. And I am all here for it. I interviewed JDS ahead of this. He said, I love this fight organization. I don't have to be with USADA anymore. I can take all the old supplements I used to take, and I love it. JDS should be auditioning right here to fight Francis Ngannou in the PFL's first pay-per-view. Only when I asked him about it, he told me, yeah, I can't do that. I just signed with with, uh, Gamebred full-time. I fight with them now. So that's a fail, JDS. I will still be tuning in, hoping that the contract situations can change. These are two wash heavyweights. We don't need a rematch. But if JDS is going to look that good, and he's actually not 40 yet, yeah, he should be atop of that list of people Francis is looking at. So hopefully everybody really understands the score deep inside when they're watching this on set or Friday. Set. It might be on right now. I have no idea. Is that a <laughs> fairground somewhere? I don't know. Oh, BC, so I, I think you, Arena. Yeah. Which is insane. BC, I think you must have missed the part where for some inexplicable reason, the PFL has decided to implement USADA and drug testing. So well, I yeah, I'm I hoping they Strongly. I agree, they should, but they do not seem to be interested in reconsidering. So your JDS yeah. dreams are gone. Well, when you have like eight to 10 failed drug tests in like a span of a three week session in Las Vegas. It's never really a good thing. All right. Cash your you votes. Know how you it's can been have a long zero show. failed drug tests if you just don't test them. That's Perfect a great record. point. Uh, cash your votes, get them in, and then we'll bring in the honorable E. Casey Lydon to uh, read off the results and crown the winner. I think we know this is probably gone, but you never know. Maybe yeah. maybe Sean Strickland beats Israel Adesanya on Saturday. You just never know in this crazy, wacky <laughs> so sport. All. So, so programming notes tomorrow, heck of morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll have a UFC 293 preview show live here on the same channel, 3 p.m. Eastern. Join us for that. And then Saturday, it's going to be a very busy day. 
We got the People's Pre-Fight Show. We got the watch party. I'm off to New York first thing Saturday morning. Jose is in Sydney. He's got all your coverage for the, all the ceremonial wins. There will be a weigh-in show, 2 a.m. this morning, too. 2 a.m. this morning, AK, ready to go. So live weigh-in coverage as well. We get you covered at MMAfighting.com. As Jed likes to say, it's a fantastic website. We'll have post-fight show, post-fight press conference. On to the next one on Sunday morning as well. There's going to be a lot going on, so stick with us at MMAfighting.com. Casey, get your ass in here. There he is, hurting people's feelings with the, the sleeveless shirts once again. Casey, do we have a winner? Do we need more time? Do I need to stall? Are we good? Is this our longest show ever? We're at an hour and 43 Yeah, minutes. this probably. Hour and 43? <laughs> hour and yeah. 42, yeah. Hey, listen, when you got so, just the so. best minds in the sport battling it out, I mean, it just yeah. doesn't get any yeah. better. That's a damning, that is a damning combination of the sport. I was about to close the poll, but the hat flipped. Oh, oh shit. Oh, he's got the, he's got the, oh, myth that, that is the actual myth one. Okay, look at you go. <laughs> I support my friends, Jed. Can you get your own merch, please? It's about time, all right? Eh, Maybe a barbecue hard. bib. Yeah. Take it. I'd, all I'd right. Be too get, your, get your votes in, everybody. Oh, uh, we're keeping this thing going. We're keeping this yeah. thing going. All right, I'm up. The path uh, to, oh, do we have it? Yeah, I think we have it. All right. Okay. All right. I think uh, we know it. Okay. <laughs> I think we had it an hour and 40 minutes ago, but I'll, I'll be excited to see if I'm wrong. I mean, when Brian Campbell beat Jose without actually answering the knockout round question, <laughs> I think we kind of know how this voting is going to go. So uh, go ahead, Casey. Your winner today with 54% of the votes Ooh. is... And still undefeated, Brian Campbell. Hey, this is a but this is a close to a splitty as we've gotten here in these battles. Fifty-four percent. You're you're climbing up, Jed. You're climbing up by about the the baker's dozen time you guys battle it out. You might even sneak one out here. So, BC, congratulations. Thank you for staying on this marathon of a program for nearly two hours. What do you want to say to the fine listeners before we mercifully let you go? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> fair jed anything you want to say uh bagged on the ufc a bunch this episode stand by every word of it wouldn't change one uh i will say shouts to them for the alexa grasso belt uh, i know that it's pretty derivative of the uh, year belt that they did already but that's cool things continue to do cool things because it's much more fun when you do cool things alexa grasso's belt for next week is pretty sick man so yeah, yeah. agreed Hit the music, Casey. We are done. Appreciate it. Uh, make sure you watch Morning Combat with BC and Luke Thomas. Great program. Fantastic program. program. Jed, I believe you were on that program. Not that I was. Enough. I got called to service. And you came through like, like absolute duty. champion. Yeah. Absolute <laughs> champion. So thank you very much. Stick with MMAfighting.com all weekend long for UFC 293 coverage for Jed, for BC, Casey on the ones and twos. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. I am Mike Heck back next week to react to it all. Good night, everybody. Love you. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch 
against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.